Great to be joining you for another episode of LifeWords Q&A. It's episode number 18 and it's our 20-minute chat on a weekly basis where we talk about life and faith and uh, your questions with David Ray. David, thanks for joining us yet again. Thanks, Andrew. Today, David, we've got another three questions from our, our listeners and followers of LifeWords. Uh, we'll be looking at what did Jesus do before he came to earth? Um, I guess, do our pets go to heaven? But our first question, David, is when I was challenge- when I challenged one of our church leaders about what she was doing, she told me not to judge her. Was I wrong to challenge her? Yeah, look, you sometimes hear this oversensitivity to criticism by Christians who who resist legitimate criticism with this argument uh, to say you're judging me, and I think actually they've got it all wrong. Um, when Jesus talks about do not judge people. He's using the word in a particular way. He's not saying do not criticise. Um, for example, when he says do not judge, he's, uh, he uses this uh, familiar illustration of the logs and the specks. Don't try to take the speck out of someone else's eye um, until you've taken the log out of your own. And when you've taken the log out of your own, you can then look to take the speck out of someone else's eye. So what he's really saying is, yes, you can criticise someone. Yep, yep, you can get to work on trying to rebuke them and correct them but only if you're at work correcting and rebuking your own faults. In other words, what he seems to be saying when he says do not judge is do not assume a position of moral superiority. Don't get all hypocritical. Um, don't um, uh, presume to pounce on someone from a great moral height and say you wicked, wicked, terrible person and I'm much better than you. That seems to be the essence of judging and that's certainly not on. Now, assuming this questioner, um, I'm, I'm just charitably assuming that the uh, our questioner has not done it that way I think she's perfectly uh, um, um, whether it's a she or a he is perfectly appropriate to challenge the church leader about what they're doing um, yes if they're, if it's done with a spirit of superiority and um, I'm much better than you and I know all the facts and I'm delivering some final verdict well that's the judge and that's wrong but Jesus never anywhere says do not criticise and right through the epistles we have Paul talking about rebuking one another, admonishing one another, bringing someone back who, is, who has gone astray. What worries me about this church leader in this case, and there are many church leaders like it, once they start putting themselves above legitimate criticism, they end up not being accountable and end up going off in all sorts of directions, and then they use this sort of argument as, hey, do not judge me. Well, well, fair enough. Yes, don't judge that person. But hey, they're they're, they're fallible. They're open to rebuke and admonition. And so I th- I suspect this person is is resisting legitimate criticism um, by using this seemingly biblical concept of don't judging her. Well, I think this this person this questioner has got every right to say, hey, I'm not judging you. I'm actually just saying I don't think what you're doing. Is right now. Now, of course, the, the, the church leader may well have a good defence and come back, but it's not judging. I think. I think often uh, we can the church. We can often uh, sort of look down at those people that are always sort of opposing. You know, the the church meeting. You know, that that you have the dissenting voices and that kind of stuff. Always sort of look down at them as being not on team church. But you know, in 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 mainstream business, you know, the value of having opposing voices, opposite views. I mean, that's why you employ staff, isn't it, to to challenge your thinking, yes. so you become yes. a better business. And I would imagine that it's maybe one thing that the church could do with more more opposing views. Oh, sure. Look. I think one of the funny little things about being a church leader is that 
in order to make the church leadership team work best and function the way it should do according to the Bible, you need to have people around you who are different to you. Uh, this, this, we complement one another. We supplement one another. If I choose other people on my staff team or my team of volunteers who are just like me, which is very natural, yep. uh, who won't criticise me, who'll just go along with me, well, I, that's a very dangerous road. Now, I, I'm not going to choose people who are nitpicky and hypocritical and proud and judgmental. I'm not going to pick people like that. But you do want to have people around you who will keep you accountable. One of the great common failings of church leaders is that they cease to be accountable. They get into a prominent position, surround themselves with yes men and yes women, and um, you know they're, they're, they're way above criticism. And I think the best thing, the much better thing is to surround yourself, yes, with people who are going to rebuke you and correct you, not as nasty critics, not, not 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 in a nasty way at all, but in a loving, godly way. You want people around you in church, business, wherever it is, who are prepared to look you in the eye and say, I don't think that's right. Because if you haven't got those people around, uh, you'll just go off on your own ego trips. But it's not being judgmental to challenge. Yes, you can challenge people judgmentally, as I said, and, and that, that is not right. But to constructively, gently, graciously, truthfully rebuke someone or challenge someone uh, is um, not wrong at all. Uh, and the church leader should actually welcome a godly and gracious challenge because uh, um, we are to be accountable to one another. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. David Ray, Andrew Morris with you. It is episode 18 and you can download previous episodes at hope1032.com.au. If you've got a question... David would love to answer it. It's lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Now, David, our second question for today is, what was Jesus doing before he came to earth? And what is he doing now? Yeah, well, that's a brief answer to that is, well, we're not quite sure, actually. Um, <laughs> is that A or part B? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, look, we do we, we can say some things, um, but this is something that people are curious about. Uh, the first thing we ought to say is that Jesus didn't just pop on the scene at the first Christmas. It wasn't as if he had absolutely no existence and one day uh, in the back streets of Bethlehem, uh, hey, here's Jesus. No, Jesus was, was, was around, as it were, on the scene. He always existed. And the Bible says somehow he got involved in creating the world. The world was made through him and, and for him as well. So in some way, and this is where we're hovering on the edge of mystery, in some way Jesus was actually involved in the creation of the world. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Spirit have always existed. Now, if you can understand that, you're better than me, but 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 that's what we believe, that they've always existed. God the Father didn't just exist and then somehow or other decide at some stage in time and history, oh, I think I'll be beget my son. No, Jesus was always there, the Holy Spirit was always there, the Trinity has always existed. So so what we've got to say that he's always existed, he was actually, we believe, involved in creating the world, exactly how, we, we don't know. Um, many actually believe, too, that he did make appearances on earth. The Old Testament described okay. them as angelic appearances, but there's some scholars who would argue, for example, in an episode in Genesis where Abraham met three strangers um, outside his tent, that many scholars would believe that this is a um, what we call a pre-incarnated appearance of Jesus. Now, now we can't prove that for sure, and there are times in the Old Testament where, again, some scholars who know their stuff would want to argue that the angel of the Lord in fact, is a reverent way of describing the Son of God. Now, no one can be dogmatic about that, yeah. but it could well be that if he existed, we wouldn't put it beyond him to make these occasional interventions on earth. 
But as to what he's doing now, well, we know that he's in a position of authority. He's, he's, he's at the right hand of God, and metaphorically, he's seated at the right hand of God. Again, we take that as a metaphor, but the important thing about right hand of God is it's the position of authority, number one, and the fact that he's seated means that he's finished his work. It's a very, very technical term that, that basically Jesus has done what he's come to do, and so he sits down, just like you've made your speech, you've been bothered to make a speech, finish your making your speech, you sit down, you've finished your job, you've finished what you've been called to do. That's what Jesus is metaphorically at least doing. He's finished his work. And so what he's really doing is watching over the world of which he's rightful ruler. And, and we also know from the Bible that one of the other things he's doing is interceding for us. That doesn't mean to say that God the Father's sitting there with his arms folded thinking, I'm not going to bless these people. And Jesus says, oh, come on, Father, please bless them. It's not It's not that. So what is, what is interceding? I, I, I think... I think we can talk about it in general terms as Jesus, it, it's really an ongoing presentation to the Father of what Jesus has done for us. You see, we are by nature, you know, fallen, whereas we've gone as sheep, they've gone astray, or as the Bible calls sinners, and we have no automatic right of access to God and what Jesus is constantly doing before the Father is constantly as it were and this, this is dangerous language because he did, God doesn't have to be reminded but I'll use the phrase anyway Jesus is reminding the Father of actually what he has achieved on the cross now of course God hasn't forgotten it saying oh thank you Jesus for reminding yeah. me it's not quite like that but Jesus is constantly as it were there alongside the Father reminding the Father if I can use that bold term again that he has done what is necessary to bring people um, to God and and I think Jesus is is the one who is is always as it were presenting us to the Father saying Father, bless this person. You see, when you and when I intercede for you or you intercede for me, that's what we're doing. We're actually bringing that person to God and saying, oh, God, here's this person's situation. Please bless them. Does it matter who we pray to? I uh, mean, is praying uh, dear Holy Spirit or dear Jesus or look, dear I, Heavenly Father? I, 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 I don't think so. Look, if you want to be technical about it and, and theologically correct, not that I think it matters because if I can put it as, as in a blasé sort of way, if you address your prayer to the Holy Trinity, it's going to get there in the end sort of thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, but, but I know some Christians who pray to the Holy Spirit or pray to Jesus and so on. Look, I don't think it matters. But if you really want to be technically correct, you pray to God through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. But, but to be honest, it really, in terms of sheer terminology, I, I think in general, we, Christians would argue that you pray to God through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. But but to be honest, I don't think God's going to sort of actually reject your prayer saying, sorry, wrong wrong person in the Trinity. We, yeah, we don't want to make it, make it too complicated, do we? No, no, we don't. It fits the purpose. <laughs> I think the, pers- the, the point is that what Jesus is doing now, one of the things that Jesus is doing now, is constantly, as it were, loving us. And the most loving thing that anyone can do for anyone is to bring them into the presence of God and invite him to bless them. And I think that's what Jesus is doing now. We should talk about the the relationship in another time, the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be interesting, wouldn't that'd it? That'd be interesting, wouldn't yeah. it? Once I figure that one out, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. Hi, I'm Andrew Morris. And it's, our t- it's time for our final question. And it's, my children have asked me if our lovely pet dog, which recently died, will be in heaven. I don't want to mislead them, so what should I say? Ah, uh, look, this is a classic. 
Yes, isn't it? Isn't it ever? Now, I confess immediately I've never had a lovely pet dog. It is a common issue with parents and children, and, and I appreciate this parent's desire not to mislead the children just to make them feel better. I, I, don't, I don't think that's that's helpful. But nor do we want to enter into complex theological debate with them. You see, if, if the child is grieving over the pet dog, they're in grief. And just like a human being is in grief, you don't go into all the details of the resurrection and all the ins and outs of eternal life with that person at that time. They're emotionally raw and so on. But let's, if I can make a few general comments... The fact is that God didn't only make humans, he made animals. And when he made animals, he, he, they're part of his good world. So we can assume that God cares for our animals and we can safely assume that he cares for us as we're saddened when they die. God doesn't say to the child with a pet dog, I'll grow up, it's only a dog. No, it's a dog. And that child is upset. And so God, as it were, is with us in that um, um, state of sadness. Now, the Bible also says that heaven is a place of perfection. And it's not some airy-fairy place, but it's something like this world with all the bad gone and all the good much better than it was. There are even words in the Bible about lions and lambs in heaven. Now, whether that's all metaphor or whether it's literal, we don't know. But I think there's a suggestion in the scriptures from the nature of the new heavens and the new earth, very much like this world, that animal life can be part of heaven. I'd at least, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but I'd be saying, I think that's where my bias would be, that, that yes, there will be animals in heaven. Well, God created them, so why wouldn't they? I yeah, guess? Why, why wouldn't they? Wouldn't, wouldn't they be now? Now, behind that, there were a few issues. What about those who dislike dogs? What about those who really hate dogs? For example, it's like saying, you know, some someone, you know, that uh, rugby was always described as the game they play in heaven. I can't understand why they'd say that, but anyway. But what about those people who don't like football, sort of thing? In, in other words, there, there, there are some issues. But and also, what about a rat? People have pet rats. People have pet snakes. Will there be snakes in heaven? Will there be rats in heaven? Will there be cockroaches and mosquitoes in heaven? Because they're, they're, part, they're, they're part of the animal world as well. Yeah, there won't be any tears or sadness. There won't so. be any tears or sadness. So I presume, again, we're getting into speculative area there. But but the point is, I, I mean, there, there are these details that, honestly, none of us has got an answer to. What I'd want to say is that, yes, God made these animals. And so, therefore, and God made us to relate to the animals. And therefore, I would imagine that, that in heavenly life, there will be such a thing as, as animals and so on. Now, however... If I'm wrong on that, and of course we can be wrong on these things very much, I'd put it this way. If I were to say to that child, and I'd be fair enough, I've said this to children in the past, yes, I believe your pet dog will be in heaven. I think I'd be prepared to say that. But even if I was wrong, I don't think I'm actually guilty I'm not guilty of misleading them because, honestly, I, I believe on the balance of probabilities the pet dog will be in heaven, as we've argued. But even if I'm wrong, when that child, as it were, hopefully they are in heaven themselves one day and the pet dog's not there, let's say that I'm totally wrong, I don't think our children will be unhappy. I don't think a child will be in heaven saying, hey, where's Rover? Yeah. Where's Prince? I mean, because heaven, remember, is a place of perfection. And and you see, the, this allows me to just make this other observation that's very important, that all our pleasures on earth are foretastes, pale foretastes of the real pleasures of heaven. So if I love my pet dog and that pet dog gives me wonderful pleasure here on earth, well, even if I'm wrong and that pet dog's not in heaven, you will have other pleasures that that 
pleasure of the pet here on earth was only pointing towards. So I don't think the child is going to be sort of sitting around for eternal life in heaven saying, rats, you know, my dog isn't here. I, for one, would be happy to favour the dog being in heaven as the most likely income uh, outcome, I should say. But if I'm wrong, it really, in one sense, is not going to matter because the pleasures that we'll have in heaven will be the fulfilment of all the imperfect pleasures we had here on earth. Fascinating stuff. You've been listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris, and uh, that, that, that leads us to a whole lot of other questions. You know, what is the point of living here on earth? Indeed. <laughs> uh, why don't we just skip on tray and go to the real main mill? But next time, maybe, David. That's right. In the meantime, the purpose of being here on earth is to make radio programs like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've been listening to LifeWords Q&A, David Ray. Uh, we'll speak to you next time.